0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast.
1: Together, we're learning to do three things.
0: Friendship with God.
1: Friendship with one another.
0: And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First,
1: please visit OKCFirst.com.
0: Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he, sent to, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. To-
2: Thank you, everybody. We are in the midst of a sermon series. Good news for a change. This is our Epiphany sermon series, and within this series, we're going to have a little bit of a two-week mini-series after having some conversations with some of you, actually, this week. I actually have attuned the sermon a little bit. It's not exactly what uh, uh, going to follow the at least the title of what you have there. In fact, I'm going to give you a different title for this week and also for next week. This week, the title is not just good news, but great news. And next week, it's going to be, it feels like bad news, but it's really good news. Um. And also during this week, I've said to you, this is a good time to rediscover our birthright as people who should understand ourselves as fishers of people. And I've asked you to try to find again that gear that perhaps you put away a long time ago, but that gear that would, that would cause you to say to somebody else who is not yet amongst us, right, to say, hey, there is life and hope. Available for you. Yep, here's that word. And, and someone even today said, I don't think you can redeem this word evangelism. It's just been too broken. It's just been too broken. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. I want you to find your way back to being an evangelist so that you can say, do you know this Jesus. Now, statistically speaking, we can kind of predict what the resistance might be, and I'm sad to report to you that it is still the case still the case that the biggest uh, reason that people say no when we say, how about coming with me to church, how about being a Christian, the biggest reason is the behavior of Christians. Still, reason number one. But somewhere in there toward the top is, is this. We have not told them about a sense of salvation that is broad or holistic enough When we say, when we use the language, when we speak this faith, sometimes we leave people with the impression that it's just about souls and it's just about the hereafter. And so let me get this out of the way. I do believe in the hereafter, okay? I promise I do. I believe in the hereafter. If you notice a distinction or a difference between what I am saying to you and what perhaps a lot of us heard growing up, it's this I do believe in the hereafter, but I believe perhaps more in the here than what I've heard. Does that make sense? And I think, and I think at times, our efforts in outreach and evangelism suffer, suffer, because we don't portray or tell the story of an evangelism that seeks to do more than just save your soul for eternity. It really wants to help salvage your life for your Monday people. So is there someone, I'm going to ask you this question more and more and more as we go. Is there someone in your life, in your work life? Is there someone in your home? Is there a neighbor? Is there someone with whom you could share this story? And make sure as you share this story, capital S, with them, make sure that you are letting him or her know that this is not just about your soul. This is about your life, the God who wants to rescue and salvage your life. This is why. This is why it's so important that we recognize and sometimes you'll hear this phrase actually God's priority for the poor. Have you ever worked with someone who was really poor? Our forefather in faith, John Wesley, used to say this that there is no sanctification, in other words, recovering the image of God, there is no sanctification without regular contact with the poor. And here's why. Ready? Because that's where God is. That's where a fuller definition of salvation is, right? You go to someone in abject poverty, they cannot afford for salvation, for the gospel to just be about a soul, right? When you're that hungry, when your life is marked by that kind of a dead end, by that kind of a tree stump, you cannot afford for the gospel to only be about souls, In fact, Scripture mocks that understanding of evangelism. Scripture says, don't you dare be the person who says, hey, listen, God loves you desperately. I know, I know that you're super hungry, but I gotta go. But God loves you. Go in peace. No, the gospel, the good news, is great news because, because, It is about whole lives, and no one knows that or needs it more than the poor. Some folks, maybe even some folks in the room, have worked very hard in the course of their Christianity to isolate, or maybe the word is insulate themselves, from folks on the margins, from the poor. That's a a mistake, because here's the thing. God is where they are. God is where they are. Listen to the story from my friend, Cameron.
3: I spent a summer in Malaysia and um, back in 2010 and we did this faith trip while in Malaysia I went with two other men and they just put us on a bus with a certain amount of cash and uh, um, just told us it was an act of like trusting God as we went to find out new cities and explore. Anyway, there was one time where I was walking towards the bus station um, and we are walking by this homeless man underneath the soccer stadium. and. He appeared to have no shoes, and I was like, well, I have two, sand- two pairs of sandals, and I walked past him, and I was like, I don't feel like I'm gonna stop, and I really felt like God was pressing on my heart to stop, to go back and talk to him, to maybe lend my sandals to him. Um, anyway, I went back. I saw that he did have sandals, and he had just woken up, um, and I said, hi, and the, um, Malaysian and he said hi back and I thought I was going to go serve him and do something like God wanted me to go um, be with him but God surprised me by him serving me instead Um, and the way he did that was the homeless man was sleeping on a cardboard box and he pulled that cardboard box out towards me and offered me a seat on his cardboard box with him. So I removed my sandals and sat with him. And we proceeded to try and talk in his language, which didn't go very well. But um, I was really moved by um, God, God's way of surprising me and showing me um, what hospitality can look like. And um, you don't have to have a home or you don't have to have much of anything. But his offering, he placed on the cardboard, was, um, I don't know, just felt incredibly generous from a man who has basically nothing. And so that's one way God showed me, uh, surprised me and showed me what hospitality can look like. Wow,
2: that's beautiful. Yeah, because that's the thing. God is where the poor are. And it's possible, it's possible. If you will go and minister to those on the margins, on the margins, you will discover God there in a way that you won't find God in your insulated life. God cares about the poor. God cares about the poor in Zambia. God cares about the poor in Toronto. God cares about the poor at Cactus, Texas. God cares about the poor right here in our neighborhood. God cares about the poor worldwide. And I am happy to report that God is accomplishing some things in service of the poor worldwide. Are things getting better out there? Now, be careful, be careful how you answer that question because you might betray, in the way that you answer that question, you might betray betray your isolation or your insulation or your perspective that is severely lacking. Because if you watch our news of our country and our ridiculous conversations out there, you might get the impression, no, 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 things are getting worse. In fact, you might be the one who says, no, things are getting worse, things are going to hell in a handbasket, and you might, in the process of being so caught up in your perspective, miss the larger thing that God is doing and all God's people said. Okay, all right, that's pretty good. But look at this, a few charts for you that were just uh, issued right after the turn of the year, the global poverty gap is nearing 5 cents. In other words, and this is brought to us by the World Bank, the World Bank says that the global poverty line is $1.90 a day, and that the rest of the planet has been living far above that, but now that global poverty line is shrinking, and that gap is shrinking, and so global poverty has really taken a dip and a nosedive in the last several years, and all God's people said. Can we give God some credit for that? Yeah. We can't. God's on the side of the poor. The proportion of the world's population with access to electricity has skyrocketed here recently. That's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. How about this one? The global adult literacy rate, we're nearing 90%. Things are getting better. Now, not if you are addicted to your own perspective and all that you could just see from your life, but things are actually getting better Can we give God glory for this? Let let me me stop here. If I come and see you, Jason's better than I am at this. If Jason comes to see you in the hospital, you will feel like that you have been embraced by God himself. (laughs) If I come to see you and I pray the prayer, I'm gonna pray something like this. God, we are praying for healing and the kind that can only be explained by doctors and nurses saying, I don't know, God must have done something, but we will be just as excited, Lord, when chemotherapy works or when surgery works. And we call that in our tradition providential means and agencies. In other words, in other words here's what we're saying. We give God the glory for healing where a life is concerned, even if it comes through means that we might call ordinary or mundane because we believe it all starts with God. In the same sort of way, can we not say that God's heart for the poor is demonstrated in charts like this? Then perhaps through providential means and agencies, God is doing something out there yeah we can here's another one global tuberculosis rates continue to fall wow the the AIDS graph looks very similar we're going to talk more about that later it is possible that we will defeat AIDS isn't that amazing and all God's people said teen pregnancy rates this is worldwide teen pregnancy rates are falling Global infant mortality rate has dropped to an all-time low, and it's actually even lower than that. I love this one. The gender gap in primary and secondary education is almost none. That is a big deal. Things are getting better out there. And we can say this. Ready? Well, then it sounds like everything that Christ promised is one way or another, sometimes with the church and sometimes despite it, happening. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, Jesus was a good church-going boy. He was, we have real evidence for it. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom, right? He stood up to read because, because this is what happened, and this is not the temple, this is the synagogue where there was a lot of volunteer labor, frankly. Somebody would volunteer to read the scripture like Courtney did today. And then sometimes somebody else or that same person would stand up and give you some sense of interpretation or commentary based on the scripture that was read. This is very normal. Everything that you're seeing so far is very, very normal. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, okay? Here's what he read. It's Isaiah 58, some mishmash of Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61. But before I read it to you, I need to tell you what these passages of Scripture are trying to say. These Old Testament prophetic Scriptures were saying this right out loud. Things are not good, but there will come a day (laughs) when the Messiah will burst onto the scene. And God, through this Messiah, will change things. And not just where our souls are concerned, but where our lives and our bodies are concerned. They would gather each week and who knows, perhaps they read something like this all the time, all the time. Dr. Tasha and I were talking about it this week. There may have been some semblance of kind of a lectionary that organized scriptures and perhaps uh, a scripture so organized would have been just the perfect time for Jesus to end up and say, okay, let's read these passages of scripture about a Messiah, the anointed of God, who will come and change things change lives, particularly for people who feel like that they are amongst the poor and the marginalized and the downtrodden. And Jesus' audience that day, the people in the synagogue, more than likely understood themselves to be poor, marginalized, and downtrodden. And so here, what if you don't spiritualize these words? What if they're real? I just, I just want you to consider it before I read these things right out loud because something happens when you read scripture out loud, people. Before I read these out loud, what if you refused to spiritualize these things? What if you insisted that God knew what God was talking about such that they could be read as real life with skin on dreams for people everywhere? You Ready? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, read Jesus, because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which we believe is probably code for jubilee jubilee an ancient theological slash economic reality that went something like this every 50th year, so you would have seven cycles of seven years then the 50th year you would have this year of jubilee which was which would be in so many ways this giant creation-wide do-over debts would be canceled Lands that were taken from you for financial reasons would be returned to your family. Everybody would be released from captivity, even financial captivity. Those of us with school loans, that sounds great, right? All kinds of captivity would be turned on its head. There would be ultimate liberation and ultimate freedom. Jesus is announcing jubilee. Now, what if if this liberation and this freedom is not just for the soul? What if it's for an entire life? What if it's for an entire household? What if, stay with me, it's for a whole neighborhood? What if God intends for the good news to be experienced by all of creation this side of heaven? What if? Okay, now at this point in the sermon, at this point actually in the synagogue service that day, all of these people so familiar with these words and probably feeling them because they do understand themselves as marginalized and poor and oppressed, feeling all of these things, they are probably, they are probably looking at one another like, I love this Jesus character. He knows our songs. He knows our aches and our pains. High-fiving five one another. Isn't he adorable? Jesus. and he rolled up the scroll he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down which was an indication that Jesus intends now not just to read but also to interpret to preach now (laughs) shortest sermon ever (laughs) he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him probably for lots of reasons one I do think that they liked this young man But two, he sat down so he was going to have something to say, some sort of commentary on this very important scripture, tightly held as it was by the people of old. And then Jesus said to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Next week's sermon, in comparison to this one, is ugly and so ugly that it's probably better pronounced ugly. That's next week's sermon. But this week's sermon, we get to sit and hopefully soak in at least a little bit of this shock and awe that this Jesus, that this Jesus would himself bring about this change that this Jesus would, in and of himself, embody and announce and implement today. A new era that would see the fortunes of the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed change. Let me say again, the good news is great news if you're poor and you're marginalized and you're oppressed. And The good news is great news. When you understand that God has in mind that God would, through God's Messiah, change your lot in life, meet you where you are and minister to your very real, very human, tangibly felt needs, If that's you on that day or this day, you're hoping it's still today. And that's not just good news, right? That's great news. Is this great news for you? Again, I have to be careful. I'm I'm showing great restraint. You don't know it. I'm showing great restraint not to preach next week's sermon. I just need to say to you today, you guys, I think God's on the move. Listen, news stations need to sell ads. Does everybody know that? Does everybody know that bad news sells more ads than good news? Other than Super Bowl, I think that's why people buy ads, right? I think there's great reason to believe That God is on the move, and sometimes God is on the move through God's people. For God, it is always today. God will not allow this today, announced by Christ on that particular day, to lapse somehow into, well, someday. No, no, no. It's today. It's today. And God sometimes will, because of the people of God, who will put literal skin and flesh on this today, sometimes God will forcefully move forward that particular agenda, and you can see it in Oklahoma City if you know where to look, and you can see it in Oklahoma, you can see it on an international basis. If you know where to look, you can see that God is forcefully advancing God's causes because, you guys, we're gonna beat AIDS. We're gonna beat tuberculosis. The global poverty rate is coming down. Now, this is great news, and that's all you really need God for is to secure your eternity. I know a lot of Christians. Okay, ready? Stay with me. Who claim Christ as their Savior, meaning this Christ has somehow cared for their eternity, salvaged my eternity. I know a lot of Christians who will claim Christ as Savior, but not claim him as Lord. Lord. Those can be the same person, Savior and Lord, they can be the same person. All too often, sadly, regrettably, right, have you seen it too? Sometimes it's been me. We will claim this Christ and this sacrifice, the story that we know so much about, and we will say, because of that great story, and I'll keep showing up because I need to be reminded of that great story, whereby God cares for my eternity, and it's not that it's not true, it is true, but there's so much more that actually makes it all true. Yes, Savior, but also Lord, and if not Lord, maybe not Savior? Dear God, do not let us be people who will wear all of your T-shirts and your jewelry so that we can claim you as Savior without allowing you to be Lord Fred Craddock, theologian, preacher, I like what he has said here. He writes, it's interesting that in Luke's gospel, the first public word of Jesus as an adult, apart from reading scripture, is today. The age of God's reign is here, the eschatological, meaning the end time, when God's promises are fulfilled and God's purpose comes to fruition, has arrived. There will be changes in the conditions of those who have waited and hoped. Those changes for the poor and the wronged and the oppressed will occur today. This is the beginning of Jubilee. Did you guys know that Jesus was that big of a deal? Wait, did you guys know that Jesus was that big of a deal? We've all kind of known, especially those of us who have been raised in the church, we've all kind of known that Christ had it in him to take care of souls. Out of boy Jesus. But did you know that God, through Christ, and man, we hope through the body of Christ, is also in the business of salvaging lives? Also in the business of salvaging lives. Last week we said evangelism always has to do with and always results in companionship. Please do not have a sense of evangelism that is absent this sense of relationship and companionship. This week what I'd say to you, evangelism has to do with liberation and freedom. Liberation and freedom that can be sensed and known not just with our souls, but with our bodies. Now, this is the point at which, this is the point at which some folks will accuse us or me of wandering too far into a political discussion. Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if, if that's how you feel. It has not been that long since someone who used to go to our church and moved away wrote me and said, my fear for OKC first is that they will be the reason that there will be countless souls at the gates of hell who are well fed. I didn't write this back. I should have. You know, how, you know how you do, like in the midst of an argument, you're like, you kind of do this and you're ready to say something, but nothing really comes out that's of any use to you. But you think about it 30 minutes later, it's like, oh, I wish you would have said this. Here's what I would say. Yeah, me too. Lots of well-fed, well-nourished, strong souls at the gates of hell because we're going to tear that sucker down. (laughs) We're going to claim all the ground that we can, nourished as we are. Nourished as we are, fed as we are. Believing as we do that this is not just about souls. It's about Life, and here, and now. And if for some reason that for you has been turned into only a political or partisan discussion, then I really want you to read the Gospel of Luke and Isaiah before. In fact, there's a lot of Scripture that we should read because perhaps, perhaps we would be better evangelists if our gospel was great news instead of good news, and if our gospel had more skin on it. Jesus, in fact, absolutely, without a doubt, did come to secure some sense of eternity for us. That is without question. The hereafter is of great importance to our God and to our Savior, as is the here and now as is the here and now. Have you ever ministered to the poor? And here we will give you ample opportunity. I feel like we, we tried to give you ample opportunity. I don't, I don't want you to understand it though as a sort of a one-off. Well, I'm gonna tick this off my calendar. I'm gonna do it once a month for 30 minutes. We'll take that if that's all you've got. We'll take it, we'll take it, right? But here's what I hope happens. I hope that you are so regularly concerned with the plight and the trajectory of the poor that you are sanctified, that you are remade in the image of God, that slowly but surely what it is that God aches for in the world would take over your aches and pains and your dreams and plans So that you recognize that you, in fact, as a member of the body of Christ, are doing what you see Christ doing. But, John, I have a job. (laughs) And by the way, with my job, I make quite a bit of money and I am helping to move the church. And we are quite grateful. We are absolutely grateful. It does not change the call of God on my life to tell you and the call of God on your life to hear it when God calls all of us to the margins in service to the poor. I played this video for you not too long ago, but it just is so good, I'm gonna play it for you again.
1: All of us are here, are all searching our souls for how to better serve our family, our community, our God. The one thing we can all agree, all ideologies, is that God is with the vulnerable and the poor. and God is with us if we are with them. That's what God's doing, and that's what he's calling us to do. People of faith, let's get involved in what God is doing. Churches started organizing petitioning on AIDS and global health. Governments listened and acted. But there's so much more to do. This is not about charity. It's about justice. You hear that call in the One Campaign. For the girl in Africa who gets to go to school. The African entrepreneur who can start a small family business. The AIDS patient who gets her medicine. On we go in the pursuit of justice, united in the belief that where you live should no longer determine whether you live.
2: Where AIDS in particular is concerned, you can see the graph start to change when George Bush decided that this was worth the investment of the United States. And so we started flooding this area with money. And in the course of time, what happened was we were able to kind of bend that rate of infection, remember it was, we thought it was just gonna ravage the entire, and it has, it's ravaged the entire continent, but we have bent that, gar, that graph flat now. Because we have sent so much money and there's so much uh, available to people there in terms of medication, in terms of facilities to help, and all kinds of education, there's all kinds of ways that we're doing it. That money is at risk every year because it's sort of seen as some, some kind of a political football and both sides fight about it, it's ridiculous. And you have given me the opportunity to go there and say to our elected officials, and I have had the great honor of meeting with our elected officials to say to them, hey, the Christian thing to do is to continue to fund this fight against AIDS. Don't you agree, Senator? And they have to either say yes or no to me. And everyone has said yes. But you know what would really help? Is if more of you would say, Representative Horn, Senator Langford, Senator Inhofe, it is our belief as Christians that we must continue to announce Jubilee because it's still the day, and we will do so by encouraging you to cast a vote that makes sure that that money still goes overseas to Africa. If Republicans and Democrats can't agree on that, they probably need to hand in their church card. That was a little too forward. Sorry about that. But uh, what I've asked you to do, and Kelly will be out there, and I don't know where you are, Avril, I'd like for you to be out there too. There's a table out here where you would have an opportunity just to sign your name to a message to that effect. It's got a little church logo on it, and it says, Dear Representative Horn, Dear Senator Langford, Dear Senator Inhofe, please maintain this funding because we can beat AIDS. You know why? Theologically, here's what we mean. Because it's still today. It's still today. And God help us, we want God to move through us and not around us to continue to do what God is doing. And by the way, you know, right, that I want you to come here to this table. God calls us to to the table in the hopes that we would eat so much communion bread that we would at some point be the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given in service to others. So during our response time, lots of options today during our response time. We'll invite everybody to come to the table, and then we want you to find a place to pray, and I'll talk more about that. You can go out and continue to tell Zach those stories in front of a camera and say, this is where God surprised me. God showed up and surprised me. It's an epiphany message. But also there will be a couple of people out at a table to take your signatures, and you can write another note to the senator or to the representative if you'd like to. But I'd like to take your voices with me when I go back to Washington, D.C., the end of next month. And I'm going back to say to them, Are you going to fund this or not? I'm going back. And I'd love to take you with me. If you're going to help us, please come and help us to set this table. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And God, with these elements, strengthen us so that we might have just enough strength to help. Move this conversation forward so that it can still be today, not despite us, but because of us. Give us enough courage and energy and imagination as we approach our own lives that we could see clearly enough to help you as you insist that the gospel is about bodies and not just about souls, that it's about the tangible and not just the intangible. Use the bread and the cup And somehow, God, make us into this bread that is given in service to the rest of the world. In other words, God, may it be today through us. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of grace as you approach someone holding a plate of bread What will happen is this, someone will snap off a piece, hand it to you and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you, but don't eat it just yet. Instead, dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat, and then find a way to respond. Now some of you will want to come to one of these front padded altars, if you do, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there, anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for healing. If you come to one of these front altars, we won't assume anything but somebody, probably me or at least me, will come by and touch you on the back, the head, the neck, just to let you know that you are not alone, because you're not alone. You may want to come and dip your fingers into this water to remember the moment of your baptism, you may want to go all the way to the back where Zach is and tell the story of when God surprised you with God's presence. And you may also want to go back there and go ahead. and I'm sure Kelly Navarillo will want to take communion first. But you may want to go ahead and put your name there. Yeah, I want to be a part of today. I want to be a part of today. And I would urge you, Senator, to help us to still be a part of today. Or you can do none of the above and I promise God will still love you. And I will too, most likely. I will too, because sometimes we're just not ready. In fact, you don't have to come down. While you're invited, and everyone is, everyone is, you're not compelled to do so. Please know the hospitality of God and the people of God today. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you, and every time you eat of it, Remember me. Later on, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, And this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pews to the left. Come forward with your hands, cup, to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.